Welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the number one track coach focused podcast in the world. From time to time, we like to bring you rebroadcasted value added podcast episodes, some little bonus material, if you will, in between our awesome interviews from coaches around the world. This is just great friends of ours, the Athletics LLC, hosted by Marissa Chu, featuring Mouse Holloway, Chris Huffins, and Charles Ryan. This is a great gang. They operate on YouTube on Friday nights. You got to go be subscribed. We're so blessed that they would let us give you the audio version. So without further ado, Athletics LLC. You are tuned in. To Athletics Double LC yeah, 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 yeah. with Lamar, uh-huh. Lucius, uh-huh. Big League Chew, him yeah. my man Clyde. <laughs> you are about to be schooled in all things track and field. This is experience. Yes, sir. We are talking past, past present, present, future. future. Y'all listen up. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Happy, well, Sunday for us, Friday when you see it. Um, but welcome, welcome, welcome to another fun episode of Athletics LLC. Uh, going strong for almost, are we, where are we at? Four divided by 32, eight months now. Holy moly. So we'll keep going until you all tell us to stop. But uh, let's go ahead and introduce a lovely gentleman on my screen here. We've got Clyde. Going on. Mr. Clyde, I didn't ask last week. Maybe I even missed the week before, but is that a Clyde, a tie for Clyde, or is this out of your personal collection? No, no. Well, they're all my personal collection now, but this is still, you know, going strong on, on the donations. Appreciate Love everybody. It. Love it. Love the support. Love it. Mr. Lucius. Good evening. Hashtag no shave no November. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, uh, Mr. Lonnie Green, for talking me into that. So. <laughs> December 1st, baby. <laughs> so the, bad part is, the bad part is I'm doing the same. And I, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen Lucius with Anything. this going on. That's what I said it's, too. It's, it's going how long, you said? I mean, I mean, at least till December 1st. There's, there's, there are some around me who really like it. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how many votes I get for and against. I don't have any votes against it right now, so I may it may be around for a while. But this used to be a tradition. I would always do um, always do this over the Christmas break. You know, if you go back and look at some old pictures, there's if you see me indoors and I just have this little stuff here. That's was a byproduct of having this and then just shave it down to this. So. <laughs> Tapering it out. <laughs> we'll see. Well, it's what the missus says. You can say all you want. It's what she says. <laughs> and then when she's done, it'll be away. <laughs> uh, well, last but definitely not least, we've got Lamar, Dragon Mountain Handcuffs, Huffins. Gotta love it. Gotta love the dialogue that's going on with that right now. The continuous dialogue. Very interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting because there's a, uh, there's a mole in the, uh, in the Radakovich, uh, camp that they don't know Ooh. about. Oh, so scandal. Scandal ABC, not scandal, like scandal, scandal. <laughs> then Olivia there to blow it up, right? Right. See, I'm telling you, when you hear the heels and see the big white purse, it's on and cracking. Yep. That's what we need. 
We need Olivia because this, how many things would she be fixing right now? Oh my gosh, she would be so busy. <laughs> oh my, COVID, first of all. <laughs> okay, anyways, back on track. Athletics LLC, here we go. Um, I do have an announcement for all of the audience before we get started with any topics or anything. Um, so you might recognize the two top screens and another affiliate that we have going, Coaches Collab LLC. Um, and we do have an event going on uh, in December, the lab, uh, we'll have a three-day series of calls going on, talking about different things. Um, our beloved Clyde is a now a part of it as a call group leader, um, and he actually will be moderating and hosting a call that day, the uh, sessions that day. Um, but in addition to all that fun stuff, we are actually going to do a live, OMG, live Athletics LLC that week. So you will get us hot and heavy on a Wednesday evening. And not that we edit anything besides putting music in the front and the back end, but you are going to get us live in full effect <laughs> on December 16th. Possibly the end of the show as we know. <laughs> YouTube's yeah, I like, think, no more. <laughs> I think the already the problem I see is how we play the music before we go, because I think we'll get booted if we don't play the music at this point. No, we literally will. I'll pull the old school in the beatbox or the boombox, push play, <laughs> right? Remember play record and then stop. I'm Got here it. for that. I was, I was on point with that. Don't worry about that. So anyhow, mark your calendars, live athletics LLC, December 16th. So don't miss it because you're, you're going to be able to give us some questions, give us some input that I'll be able to read real time. So uh, it's going to be a fun one. But anyhow, and I'll remind you before, we're about a month out, so I'll remind you before that happens. Is but, that gonna be Facebook Live? No, no more Facebook Lives for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> no more Facebook Live. I know my limits. An epic <laughs> fail, so we learn from our mistakes, right? right that was horrible. Oh my gosh. Never, I will never hit live again. Well, I will hit live only when it's me though. Big Nobody League is one of the few people that's had a phenomenal 2020. That was the only 2020 faux pas. It was horrible. <sighs> oh my gosh. It was entertaining at the very least, so. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I, I, was, I was clearly there just for the comments, absolutely. I mean, so was everybody else. No one yeah. had a clue what I was talking about. <laughs> right. All right, well, let's, let's get to what everyone's here to see and, and listen to. Um, jumping right in. Other than the obvious of COVID, what effects do you think COVID has had on the on the field play in collegiate football? I think that obviously the you know obvious things aside, I think the the COVID scenario has has really leveled the playing field of the advantages that many teams seem to have in a normal year. Um, I, I don't imagine that all of a sudden some of these coaches became so much worse or some of these coaches became so much better or the talent on the rosters all of a sudden is so much different. I think, you know, things like sellout fans and, and stadiums being jam packed and all of that really, really matters at the collegiate football level more than maybe any other level. And I think that with no fans in the stands, I think uh, the playing field has been you know, leveled. And I think some people are handling the, the travel uh, a lot differently. 
and therefore you're seeing a lot of uh, quote unquote upsets that you normally wouldn't see. And I think it's, uh, if anything, it's been interesting. Um, it definitely doesn't feel like, you know, college football season as in any kind of normal state of affairs. And in many ways, it's a lot less interesting because of that. But on the who's going to win week to week, no clue. And I think that makes everything a hell of a lot more interesting. And I think the fan base is the biggest difference uh, that has affected that. Um, I think for me, when we talk about on the field play, um, I think that clearly it has had a huge effect on the defensive side of the ball. You know, we've seen more points put up across the country. Um, clearly, it seems that we can prepare better offensively than defensively when you can't you know, meet as much. Um, that, that would lead me to believe that maybe the, the strength and conditioning side of it has come into play. Um, I think that, you know, I, I talk a lot about P's when I talk to people, uh, things, but the two P's I'm gonna use now are precision and preparation. Um, the precision, um, even offensively has been sporadic at best. Um, preparation has not been what we are, are accustomed to and clearly there are some teams in the Big Ten that probably should have stayed shut down. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Boy, taking shots for those. Just, just I'm not taking shots. Gratuitous, gratuitous shots. Like, like gratuitous they shots. made the biggest deal ever, and then they came out unprepared. And so I'm just saying, if you're going to make a big deal and you got to play, then when it's time to play, you should be ready to play. I didn't call out any names. There are several ones I could have called out. But all I'm, oh, I'm saying going to is that there are some teams out there that probably should have stayed shut down because they didn't do a good job of preparing their athletes. And I'm gonna let my man drag me out, do his thing now. You know, I, I have enjoyed laughing at all of this, just to be completely honest. Um, I think the first thing, the first thing that has become ridiculously obvious, and it's not on field, so I'll, I'll be quick with it. But the first thing that has become ridiculously obvious, and if I was a collegiate football player, I would know this and I would throw this in the faces of every administrator that ever talked to me. They can't survive without me. Collegiate football players now should completely understand that they are, they have a seat at the table. Because football is being played hell or high water, which for the record, Lucius and I said was gonna happen. Like football was gonna be played. We're not doing that tonight. No, no, I'm no. I, that, that's not even a shot. That, the question a, said, "How is it affected on the field?" That, that wasn't even back a petty, on the field. That wasn't even. But you know how? Look, listen. Captain Petty has to get a petty shot every now and again. So anyway, <laughs> hold on a second. Hold on a second. Petty said that it shouldn't be played. Yeah. See. So see, see. See what you started now. So anyway, on the field, which was what the question was. I think the, the biggest and most obvious thing is those who can coach, meaning not in a system, but coach the players and not, you know, and not, and not the positions and, and coach the players, the actual ones they have in front of them and, and, and relate from week to week. Those coaches are, they're earning their money. Like, listen, you can't convince me that Liberty and Indiana have better football programs than 99.9% .9 of the teams in this country. But right now on the field, they look like it. 
I mean, Indiana has dragged Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and back-to-back-to-back weekends. So at least two of them are those teams that uh, Lucius was referring to that clearly should have just, hey, I said it. I said it. You said it. Franklin and uh, Mr. Harbaugh, you're overrated, clearly, because in a situation (laughs) where you had an opportunity to, in all honesty, look, everything's stacked in your favor. And you come out and you lay such eggs that, like, you're getting thrashed by inferior teams. Anyway, um, I think on the field, just just truthfully, I, I think on the field, like all jokes aside, I feel like the coaches who are best at preparing from week to week as opposed to, like, all right, I got the best players, I'll roll things out, and if everything works the way it's supposed to, I'm going to win. I think the best co- the coaches who are best at – preparing from week to week and adapting to change and, and, and dealing with chaos, those coaches are, they're coaching their asses off right now. And here's a shocker. The two best teams in the country are still the two best teams in the country. Cause if anybody thinks that Clemson and, and Alabama are not the two best teams in the country, I love to see it. I think Florida and Alabama is going to be a very interesting game. I think, I think the Gators assume, actually have a shot. You that assume game. that you assume that game gets played. But I would agree. It, it would be uh, Bro, that game is gonna get played wow. regardless. Can, can we can we have one episode where we don't do the doom and gloom? Just one? Is that too much to ask? I'm, I'm sorry that I'm sorry that, that I mean see see see, 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 here's, 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 here, here's the thing. But that means but then that means right? but but that means that half of it got played. Sure, that's why I said okay, we don't all right, know right, so, so, but you, so instead of talking about the half that didn't get played. Let's talk about the half that got played. And my man said that if they, when they play, because at some point in time, they're going to play, okay? Even sure. if it's postponed, it's, they're going to play mm-hmm. doom and gloom, okay? It's going to be an interesting game. So, but I have a question. If, if why do you say, Mr. Drag Me Off in Handcuffs, that inferior teams are dragging superior teams? If they're that, inferior why are they dragging them because see uh, I, I beg to, i beg to differ now this was this is mr lamar okay uh, okay like i don't know how indiana okay indiana clearly has collected some good talent so i don't i honestly yes. i don't want to downplay what indiana is doing i don't want to downplay what liberty is doing because liberty didn't they just beat um who they just they beat, beat? A power, they beat a power five school and i can't remember who it is <laughs> they beat a power five school this past weekend. The, the weekend before last. Yeah. yeah well, okay. Not yeah. not Saturday. The previous right. Saturday. Right. So, but like, I don't want to downplay what those teams are doing because it's COVID. Okay. At the end of the day, okay, you, your players are your players. And so if they're preparing their players better, then let's give them credit for doing so. Not play it down, oh, because this guy... You know, I'm an Ohio State guy, so obviously I'm not going to defend Mr. Harbaugh. That's your opinion. I'm going to let you roll with that, okay? But at the end of the He's day... Trash. I said it. Like I said, I'm not defending him. I'm an Ohio State guy, okay? But at the end of the day, like, let's not downplay Indiana. Let's not downplay Liberty and anybody else that's playing good football. Let's give them credit for doing, you know, what they're doing. Oh, I'm not going to have to downplay them. Indiana plays Ohio State this weekend. Ohio State's going to win by four touchdowns. Because okay, that, unlike that, a lot that, of these that, other that, schools, that doesn't change the fact that they beat the other teams. 
No, it does. My point is, look, if we had no COVID, if I told you I, Ohio State was playing Indiana, you would say, oh, okay, Ohio State's going to win by four touchdowns. My point is, Ohio State is playing to their abilities. IU is playing to their abilities. Penn State, Michigan, well, Michigan State's just trash. And I, and I, I think there's some stuff going on on that campus because they, they've been trash for a few years, and it's kind of coincided with the whole doctor issue. <laughs> no, no, no. And I'm not saying, like, he had anything to do with it. I'm just saying, like, I think that there's a – I think there's a Paul on the campus, is if, if I'm making any sense. I don't mean like he had anything sure. to do with the football players. But, hey, hey, we got you. We got you. I'm just Listen, saying. Don't, like, don't need like, to go further down that rabbit hole. So it, just, no, it hasn't been good at Michigan State for about three years. But Michigan and, and Penn State, they both not only came into this year ballyhooed, they also both had top 10 recruiting classes. So it's clear that they have abilities on campus. But they, when I say getting dragged, like these aren't close games in some of these cases. Which which speaks to my point that maybe Indiana's better than you give them credit for being. We'll find out next it, Saturday. It, see, it's possible. It's possible that Indiana's better than anyone would have given them credit for preseason. That is, pro that is probably true. And, and, However, and that could have happened even if it was not COVID. That could be the situation sure it could because have. we have the Cinderella stories. We have the the new kid on the block every year. Sure, it absolutely could have. But to my original point about the atmosphere of these games, college football is a lot about atmosphere. Like nighttime at LSU is a thing, right? Really difficult to win those games. Nighttime at Penn State stadium, during a whiteout is a thing. Right, Penn State whiteout. Like now, if it's just a random Saturday and it's, there ain't nobody there, like. Okay, I, okay. Nobody has an advantage because they never right have mind. any fans. <laughs> anybody in right. their right mind is going to argue that atmosphere makes a difference. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I wasn't done. Hold on. So to Lamar's point, for me to bring it all the way around full circle, it goes back to an earlier conversation that we had about oh. the same issue, but on a different <laughs> topic. No, sir, sir, you have no idea what I'm saying, so relax. Oh, I do, exactly. No, you don't. Okay. We had a conversation a couple weeks ago about how the COVID situation would impact our sport and what would happen, and the consensus seemed to be that the better coaches, the people that do a better job of developing the talent of their athletes would shine through. What I'm saying is atmospheric, what Lamar is saying is without all the bells and whistles and the advantages that they normally have, some people are getting exposed. And I believe, and it seems that he believes in this situation, what's the quote? It's, it's, it's not the X's and the O's, it's Jimmy's and the Joe's. Well, seems like the X's mm -hmm. and the O's and the people that's running them might be a big part of this equation. And I feel the biggest thing that's on the field that's being exposed via COVID is some of these people may not be as awesome coaches as we all seem to think they are. We know no one is going to claim that Michigan has an inferior roster from a recruiting standpoint than Indiana. That would be ludicrous to say right now. They I don't. Think everybody it, said that, or everybody would say that. But but Indiana's thriving, and Michigan looks like a train wreck. Okay, so all right, so like like I said, like I said from the beginning, for me. Precision and preparation. So you're speaking to what, what I said. The whole atmosphere sure. thing, okay, because they've lost on the road. 
and they've had to go on the road before in hostile situations and they've won. Okay, I'm not saying that the atmosphere and the hype doesn't help, but I'm also saying they are defeated. They have not won again. And that is not all due to the atmosphere. So my point is this, is that I am not disputing whether either you or dragging out of handcuffs is said tonight. All I am saying is, is that for me, the whole thing with the atmosphere doesn't work because they've had to go on the road. For me, this goes back to like, like, like we talked about with the, the track, the track did. It's about preparation. I totally agree with you on that one. You know, I totally agree that if you match up Michigan and Indiana's roster, Michigan, Michigan should win. But I'm also going to sit here and tell you that I don't think that that situation where if anybody's paying attention, nobody's totally surprised at what's going on there because this was coming, COVID or no COVID, that was coming. It was just a matter of time, you know? Now the whole thing with Penn State, I think is a shock to everybody, you know? But th there's a, other programs out there in other conferences. I mean, there's some teams in the ACC that aren't playing well. Let's not just pick on the Big Ten. There's some Pac-12 teams that haven't been stellar, you know? And then on the there's other hand- There's some Pac-12 teams that haven't played yet. I was just okay. gonna say that they haven't played. It's true. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, so, and so there's so some SEC teams that ain't playing well. Okay, okay. I, 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 I was about to go there, and then somebody oh, okay. interrupted late. me. You relate? Okay, got it. I, I, how I can jump. I be late? He interrupted me. My bad. I said, bad. I said Pac-12, and then he interrupted me. And then here you come with there's some SUT. Okay. <laughs> there, there, there are teams in every conference across America that aren't playing well. You feel better now? So I'm now yes, have to go down do. the whole list. Okay. Yes, I right? do. Okay, because I because clearly, you know, you spoke to the. The Baton Rouge situation, nobody saw that coming, right? And again, okay. so that so again, that goes back to me for preparation, right? And it has nothing to do with the fact that they can't play all their their games at night in Death Valley because Death Valley Death Valley doesn't win the football game. That whether you want to believe it or not, eventually the Jeffs and the Joes or Billy Bob and whoever they the ones they, they win the day on football game. Okay, don't, don't, kid, don't kid yourself. Okay. So. So I get, you know, the whole atmosphere of Death Valley. I get the atmosphere. It is going to be a long time before those things come back into play, right? So but the thing we better keep an eye on from this day forward is the, the people that are able to prepare their athletes to do. And see, I still think it goes back to the strength and conditioning situation. I think that's what's being exposed more than anything else here. The teams with the better strength and conditioning programs are the teams that are playing best, in my opinion. I refuse that, to give strength and conditioning anywhere near that amount of credit. Fuck those guys. Hey, hey, hey. They're, they're not all bad. That's not fair. They're not all bad. They're not. Still not so giving them that credit. So you, so you can't throw the middle finger at everybody in America because you had a couple of bad experiences. That's not fair. I happen to have oh. an incredible strength coach. I love my guys, so I'm not. Yeah, I'm good. But, but, I, but if, you, I, if you take a good look at it, if you watch the play on the field, the teams that look the strongest, the teams that are in condition to get through the third and fourth quarters are the teams that are winning football games. Now, we watched a marvelous football game the other night between Clemson and Notre Dame, and they played hard right, right into overtime. Right into it. Right into COVID. Well, so, so to, I mean, to that point, right, that, that was a good game. I, I watched most of it. Uh, the storming of the field was ridiculous because Trevor Lawrence didn't play. So props to, to Dabo and the crew for 
almost pulling that game out with the backup quarterback. Do we believe if Ian Book wasn't out there that Notre Dame could have competed that well with with their backup? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. But see, but here's the thing. But see, but then you see, you talk about the atmosphere, but then you want to take it away. You know, that's no, that's no, what, there, there that's was like, no there was no atmosphere. No, 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 there. I'm saying, but but it was for those fans that stormed the field. Because see, Jesus. that's something they will be talking about mm. when they're 60, 70 years old. We yeah, stormed we ran the, field. On the field. Yeah, we, if they live to be sixty, a great we ran on the field in the middle COVID. of COVID <laughs> when we beat when we beat Clemson. They're gonna be talking about it, right? Mm. So like, you can't talk about the experience and the atmosphere and then take that away from that. Look, I totally disagree with what they did. I totally disagree with that they allowed them to do that. But then at the same token, like. That's what people do when they upset the number one team in the country. That's I just can't do. wait to the ACC championship game when Notre Dame gets beat by four times. And, 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 here, and, here, and here's the beauty of it. Like, supposedly nobody tested positive since from that, so we're good. I so, believe hey, that. Hey, hey, supposedly. Right? Old, I believe, uh, but, but, I, I believe but, that hey, about it, as much as I believe. But, hey, it's possible. It's possible. So uh-huh. we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. I, um, I, I apologize for bringing that up. That's my <laughs> for note, Liberty just beat Western Carolina yesterday, and then the week before was Virginia Tech. Yes, and they were very lopsided scores. Yeah, so yeah, they beat they beat Virginia Tech, and the Virginia Tech played Miami to the end. Liberty has a good football team. They do, no doubt. And, and clearly, Liberty. I forget, he's Liberty's head coach now. You know, he mm-hmm. came from a he came from a power five situation, and clearly, he's done a great job. I see, I think that. For again, from this, from what I could believe was going on, the people that spent more time getting their kids strong and in shape versus running plays and that stuff are the teams that are doing better right now. Trying to find their coach real quick for you. Hugh Freeze. There you go. My man, Hugh. Huey. <laughs> doing a great Hugh. job. Yep. Got it. All right. Switching gears, talking about coaches and their greatness. What makes a great coach a great coach? Oh, I think that uh, Lucius should go first. <laughs> Did you see that side eye? Whoa. Oh, boy. I'm just glad, <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna... glad I'm not there because I'm pretty sure he would have hit me for that one. Yes, I would. Uh, at least throw something at you if I, I hit you. But okay, so I, I'm just going to start off with ad- adaptation. I think that um, in order to be a great coach, you have to have the ability to adapt to the talent on your campus. You have to have the ability to adapt to injuries, to adapt to um, signing an athlete who you think can handle your training program, and then getting said athlete understanding that you've got to make tweaks that sometimes you have, you have to be flexible more than anything else. Um, as far as being a great head coach, I think that you have to be able to be trusting of your assistants and have assistants that you believe in that they can get the job done. Um, you have to be a leader and you don't have to be just a leader for your athletes, leader for your trainers, leader for your, anybody's support, leader for your assistant coaches. And I think that if you watch the better teams, no matter whether it's track and field, baseball, basketball, football, whatever the sport is, most of those teams take on the persona of the head coach. They do. And so I think that's where the leadership piece comes in for me. So I think, again, adapt, adaptability, being a great leader, 
you know, being able to put a little bit of who you are into your team. In those pressure situations, the teams that crack are usually the teams that are led by somebody that would crack under that same pressure. Was that good enough for you, Dragon? Uh, I like yes. it. And you I, know what? That that was that was very well said. Um, I, I agree with I all like of that. it, and and he stole one of my words, which was adaptation. Um, I'm glad I went for, first. Then. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, very very well stated, sir. Um, f- for me, you know, when when this question is posed, that you know, I, my, obviously my brain went straight to to our sport, but as Lucius just laid out, I think that these answers you know, cross whatever sport. Um, the leadership thing is is really huge, but your leadership style matters, right? I think that the co- the, to be a great coach, you have to be able to lead in different ways to serve all of the people that you need to meet at the places that they are, right? And so, you know, adaptability is vital uh, for me you know, development is vital because it's it's really easy um, to take, you know, the best of the best. It's really easy to take the five star and just, you know, not hurt them and, you know, <laughs> reap the benefits. So to me, you know, people that I consider great coaches are, are all people that have proven to be able to develop the talents around them. And, and that goes from the athletes that they get to work with it also goes with the coaches whose lives they're involved with. Like truly great coaches, you know, should be elevating all of these people that, that you come into contact with. And I think that that is, you know, really, really important. So for me, your, your leadership style matters. And there's a bunch of ways to get that done, but you have to be smart enough to realize which way is going to get done with this kid, with this assistant, with these people. Um, and, you know, development is, is really, really big for me. Those, those were the two words that, that really landed with me on, on that particular subject. Um, I, I'm a fan of this question and I, I, I'm a fan of both the answers given. Um, I'm a huge fan actually. Um, and the, the words that I think everybody uses it comes out to be defined as the term cult of personality. You, you have to be the kind of person that people want to listen to, follow, uh, and be led by um, as athletes or as assistant coaches. Um, I think adaptability, I think that was the word that, that Clyde used. Um, and for my money, I think being malleable is in is it's if you're not that I don't know how you can be successful if you can't if you can only coach certain kinds of kids to be successful or certain kinds of men or certain kinds of women to be successful that makes your your ability to be successful incredibly myopic so it's like in order to beat you all I gotta do is out recruit you for the kind of kids that you need and then you can't beat me um and then for me the last one is is the one that to to Lucius's point about adaptability, it's you know you got to be able. I don't know who this was. Some old football coach said that you know a great coach can beat you with yours and him with his, and beat you with his and you and you with his or something like that. But basically, like no matter which team you got, the best coach 
has a shot. So it's not about it's not dictated by talent. And and the phraseology I always like to I like to use is uh, a team of lambs being led by a lion will beat a team of lions being led by a lamb. And I, and that that's proven itself out like a million times. I've seen the best team get smacked a bunch of times because the guy or the girl, because I've seen it in both cases, you know, the leader was the softest one there. And and at the end of the day, like I'd rather have a soft team and a great leader than a great team and a soft leader any day and every day and twice on Sunday. So for me, if I had to circle it into one thing, like what makes a great coach great is like, is exactly that. Like when they talk, you want to be, you're inspired by them. Like I, my, like my son always gives me, gives me crap because I always talk about Mike Tomlin and I was like, yeah, I would get off the couch right now and go, give what's left of this beat up 50 year old body to play football for for the Steelers who I'm not a fan of but I would play for Mike Tomlin for like three plays before they carted my ass off because when I hear him talk I am inspired I believe that he believes in with the greatest conviction in all of his players and everybody that I know that's a great coach that's how I feel when they talk like every time Tony Dungy talks I'm like he should be coaching somewhere some that right now he doesn't want to and I get it but Tony Dungy could probably take like the worst Pop Warner football team in America and make them really good because he's got that. And, uh, you know, that cult of personality is a thing, man. It's a real live thing. Uh, a, a word that I left out, <clears throat> vision. Because if you don't have the ability, you know, to to see these things playing out and to know what pieces to put in place to make yourself successful. Ultimately you won't be, um, that, that was a, you know, vision, vision goes a long way. Um, and I, and I think the true visionaries, um, in the coaching world are the people that manage to survive regardless of, you know, the things that they are handed or the obstacles that they have to overcome. You have to find a way, you have to have an ability to see a path, through, you know, through all the forest and, and, the, and the fires and the trees that are, you know, tripping you up. So, you know, I, I've, I've seen situations where coaches are, uh, to Lamar's point, you're handed the best team or you, or you walk into a really good situation and all of a sudden it becomes a, a complicated, you know, dumpster fire. I, I think that's a lack of vision. I think that's a lack of, you know, foresight. And, you know, there's, there's a certain level of humility that comes with great coaches. You know, anybody who's good at, at their profession, you know, they think pretty highly of themselves and, and, and rightfully so. But if you're so arrogant that you can't see past your shortcomings, if you're so arrogant that you can't understand that you have weaknesses and work on them or the ability to evolve your skill set or to think that you need to evolve your skill set, you know, that that level of lack of vision, that that level of arrogance can ultimately, you know, ruin your product. So, you know, vision is is another one that I would definitely throw in there. And I, I, I just want to, you know, I think that as if you want to be a great coach, the first thing you have to avoid is arrogance because arrogance is, is a coach killer. It's a it's a career killer at, the, at any level. And the moment you think you've got it all figured out is you think you know and you, you can't get any better, you need to go check yourself into, into an insane asylum because you've clearly lost your mind. You know, um, I, you, you, 
we've all talked about this, the coach that, you know, has a little bit of success in and out and you can't tell him anything. No, I would say that I like talking to the coaches who are always around. It's not always the guy that's winning the championships. A lot of times it's the guy or the girl that's always around, that's always got somebody there, that's somebody you've never heard of. Those are the great coaches, you know? So, you know, pay attention to that. But again, you know, to, to Clyde's point, you have to, you know, you have to be humble. You know, you have to have some humility to you and you absolutely have to avoid the arrogance of thinking that, 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 that you know it all and that you can do no wrong. That, that just can't, that can't be a thing if you want to be a successful coach. It just can't be. I, I mean, I think we've all talked about this before and, and it turns all of us off. The coaches who refer to the athletes that they are blessed to coach as my athletes. And it's like when, you know, well, when my guys did this or when my girls did this and, you know, my athletes have never failed under pressure and things of that nature. It's like, man, those people don't belong to you. This thing slavery. Like, look, they are people that God blessed you to be able to guide their careers. Like, don't get crazy. <laughs> that's who they are. You know? They, See, and, that's, they, and that's the arrogance piece of it. I think that every now and then that word my comes out of everybody's mouth. That's just, that's just, mm-hmm. it, it's a, I don't think for everybody, it's not meant in that way. But the person that says it over and over and over, the person that uses my and I a lot is not, no, that's, that's not a good thing. It's, it's not like, about you, right? We right. say it all the time. It's not about you. Not at all, not even close. Not even Brooks close. Johnson will like that last piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, Brooks Johnson will love that last piece. Right, right. Good stuff. Good stuff. I like those. I hope everyone's taking notes on that part of how and what and when to do the things they need to do to be the great coach. So um, taking that, the attributes of a great coach, let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. Um, if the pandemic does force another missed season, what is the fallout for the high schools and the collegiate um, population? Specifically oh, wow. the two populations. Well, I, I think, honestly, I think the high schoolers will be okay. I think as you've seen through the, the early signing period that there's a lot of track athletes that are getting signed. And I think that at some level, whether it be the early signing or the late signing, that that group is going to be okay. I think the challenge that it will be faced will be faced by the collegiate coaches who now I think have to work a little bit harder to identify talent. I think we talked about that a little bit before in dealing with the first shutdown. Um, I think also on the collegiate level, it's going to make it interesting as to what the NCAA does, because if they continue this trend of, okay, you can have an extra year, you can have an extra year, and then we'll have guys with grandkids running track and field, you know. Um, the other problem you're going to have is it creates, this creates a definite inequity problem, because there are some schools that have the ability to bring people back at their own cost that don't call, that don't count against their scholarship numbers and there's others who can't afford to do that we've seen that already have an effect on college track and field as well so that will be the biggest thing i think with as far as at the ncaa level the number of schools who will ha- say hey you, you you know we got six or seven people we can bring them all back versus the school that says well if you bring those six or seven back then you can't bring anybody else in so that's going to create an inequitable situation in some ways uh, on, on a lot of campuses around america yeah, so <clears throat> this is, man, this is really, 
if COVID ruins another season at the collegiate level, I think the fallout of that is it's going to force a lot of um, administrators to have to kind of like get off the fence and start making some actual decisions. Because really, to this point, it's like the NCAA said, hey, free pass, everybody can come back. And I think the bulk of everybody else took that and was like, you know, the NCAA said free pass, everybody comes back, but the money side, y'all work that out individually. And then by and large, the administrators, for the most part, in those positions said, okay, 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 we'll find a way to work it out. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Big 10 aside, because I think they just said, nope, we're not dealing with it, you guys, you're done. Mm -hmm. Which seemed cold-blooded at the time, but may prove to be, um, you know, the smartest thing possible because their cycles, their business operations haven't really been impacted that way. Whereas, you know, if this thing happens again, we'll, we'll have freshmen on the campus whose money has been extended for two or three cycles in, in, in a sense, depending on how their careers go. Well, that's, that is in, an insane and unsustainable reality. And in some cases, you might have to end up looking kid X in the face and be like, hey, I hear you, but you're going to get these last two years and then, you know, we got to move. And that's an uncomfortable position for everybody. And depending on where you're employed, maybe your school doesn't want to look at it that way. Maybe, you know, they're more kid centric or maybe they're more scared of the fallout of the parents than they are about the success of the program. Whereas in another place, hey, it is what it is. We're going to keep this train moving so we can continue to be successful. Where that falls out at the high school level is there are less opportunities out there. Yes, people are definitely getting signed and we're all out here grinding and trying to do what we do. But, there, but, the, but the pot of resources is finite. And if this thing continues to roll and get passes, the amount of opportunities at every campus is going to be smaller and smaller and smaller, which means the high school kids are going to have less opportunities and less money, which means more money out of the parents' pockets. It all, you know, connects together. So, you know, I think the fallout of it is a lot of strain, a lot more stress, a lot. It, it could ultimately lead to, to some kids looking at some other opportunities that they may have not been thinking about beforehand. Um, I have a question for so, you, Claire, before you, sure. I got to interrupt, but I don't understand if they, if they continue to say it's not going to count against you and the administrators say it's okay, how does that affect the pot of money available for the high school kids? Oh, oh what I'm saying is I don't believe that it's not going to count against you. It's just going to be sustained. I, I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think, I, I don't see how that can continue to be the situation because as, as we all know, when they say it doesn't count against you, you know, on the, on the scholarship count number side, that is still real money that has to be spent somewhere. Well, most, I'd say the vast majority of programs in our sport ain't cool with the bill just going to keep on stacking up. At yeah, some I, point, I, I, that's going to come to a head and they're going to be like, I agree. And I, I think what would happen in that case, honestly, I think what will happen is that you'll see, okay, you can bring he or she back if they're a major contributor to the program. If they're not, yeah. you know, like you said, people have to make some serious conversation. And I think, I think too, something we, we, we continue to forget about is a lot of these kids that are 
on your campuses now that aren't counting would still be on your campuses getting their degree as a fifth year student anyway. So they, they, were, they would be on that same scholarship they're on anyway, even though they don't count against you. Does that make sense? In, in some cases, but I do agree that the that that pot of money is not going to last forever. I agree with right. that. Yeah. Right, and, and in some cases, you're absolutely right. But another year of this, and then right. that's absolutely not the case well, anymore. Well, see, but, but again, I, I I agree, but I disagree because those people that are on that fifty year aid this year are now gone, and then that next group falls into that lap. Now, again, for probably about half the country, that's okay, and then the other half, it's not. So I think sure, so, that, that, so, that's, what, that's, a, that's where I think the inequity is going to come into play, where, you know, the, the, the teams with them that have been more fiscally responsible will be able to handle that and those who have not will not be able to. Sure. Um, it's funny because my answer falls kind of as a combination of the two of you guys' answers. Um, and a lot of it is because I deal, I deal with probably more junior college people than both of you. And this phenomenon has has come about which is very bizarre i know not one but several young men that fall young men that fall into this category they were at school x redshirted their freshman year uh so that 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 was a normal redshirt year pre-covid their redshirt freshman year was the covid year which they got back they are now at a junior college the NJCAA has said that this entire year of NJCAA sports does not count against anybody's eligibility. So I know several kids who have been in school for three years that have four years of eligibility left at a four-year school. And where this is coming about is the thing that I don't think the NCAA was prepared for because they shouldn't have been when they first put in this rule is the immediate transfer eligibility of graduates. And the reason I say that is because now, look, schools never stopped, right? right. So like these <laughs> school, people's athletic calendars have, have stopped. <laughs> we'll but if we give them another year that gets cut, cut by COVID, another year that doesn't count against them athletic, athletically, you're talking about kids who are three quarters or fully through their, through their course of study who have three and four years of eligibility left at least three two and three is, is going to become the the norm of people with graduate who, who have graduated right i know several kids who have grad who are going to graduate this year that if this year doesn't count against them they're going to have two years of eligibility left after graduating from college right and so at the end of the day what all this means is like I said, it's a combination of both of your answers. To Lucius's point, if you have been fiscally prudent and you can help a young person get into grad school and or help them a bit with their graduate degree and you also have a good track program, man, are you going to become really, really popular? Because I already got my degree. Like, this is free money. Like, I'm playing to play. Because a lot of people are going to, they're going to get into graduate programs and do these things so they can, can, can continue to run, right? You know, or, or play basketball or whatever it is. Um, but what's going to be really bizarre is, and I've said this since the beginning, the, 
the more free eligibility we give, the worse the normal developmental kid gets hurt because there's more classes of people still in school, still more talented than them. Right. And there's only eight lanes. There's only, you know, 26 spots on a bus or however, you know, whatever the finite numbers are that we're talking about. At the end of the day, there's still only a finite number of positions to play in any sport, right? No, I mean, you could have a track team that has 80 people on it. All 80 can't participate. It's like none of us can figure that out, right? You can, you can only put three, four at most in an event. You can only carry 32. At some point in time, you bump, against, bump up against the limits and you can have too much. And what I think is going to happen, if the NCAA doesn't actually make a decision this time, because let's be clear, we all agree, they did make a decision last time. But if this happens again, if we get shut down and, and, and this next outdoor season gets cut from everybody and, and it's, you know, it's a COVID wash, like, look, this is ugly to say to somebody, especially if they're a senior. It's like, look, I hate that this happened to you, but at the end of the day, this is fate and it just is what it is. Like, you're going to have to graduate and move on. We can't keep, we can't scholarship you for, like the, the NCAA system was made to have five to make four. That's the system. There are those freaks of nature that had two freakish accidents and they end up with six to make four. We can count those on one hand, right? No system was made to have seven year and eight year collegiate, regular collegiate careers or three or four, or in some cases, five year JUCO careers. Like that's just not a thing. And at some point in time, we have to move these people. Unfortunately, we have to move them on. You know, the commercial and, says it. The, the commercial says it best, right? Most people are going to go pro in something other than sport. And and the JUCO example is a is a great example, but it plays all the way across, right? And and I think that's that's where I was trying. You said it better than I did, Lamar. But that's where I was trying to articulate the fallout on the high school side. It's like, if I have kids who, if, if kid if, if kid X graduates from Florida, but they still have two years of eligibility, and for whatever reason, they don't want to go to grad school at Florida, now that recruit is a lot shinier in the portal than the high school kid who's not a phenom, right? So I'm like, well, hey, we're gonna jump on these people because they're proven, you know, you know, proven talents. Like we know what they can do with the NCAAs because we've seen it. And for every kid that moves on that way, that's another opportunity for high school kids that doesn't, that's not coming. Because again, the money is what it is. Like there's only so many resources. So, you know, I I feel bad, like recruiting the 2021s has been tough. Like they didn't get to race. A lot of it's projection. You got to identify talent differently. Can you imagine the 2022s if they don't get to run? Like, oh my God, they haven't run since they were freshmen in high school. Like, that's awful. And so, you know, the fallout of that is absolutely that a whole bunch of kids that would have got opportunities otherwise ain't going to get them, or they're at least not going to get them at the level that they would have if they would have got to go race. So, you know, hopefully, we all hope that doesn't happen. But it's getting worse in 48 out of 50 states right now. So uh, 
uh, it's possible. I'll, I'll say this: <laughs> if if somehow, if for some reason, the 2021 high school season is also canceled, as was the 2020, what you can 100% guarantee is it's already happened in baseball. The the, the junior college athletics in 2022 are going to be off the chain because it, because oh, so. at some level, like, you know, like if you're at a power five school, it's just hard to scholarship a kid that you have, that hasn't run in a race in two years. You might believe that they're talented. You might see workouts and stuff that, you know, on video, but at the end of the day, it's hard to put 80, 80, 90% into a kid who's, who's actual meat car is 1095. And they ran that when they were 15. This is true. Yep. But mommy and daddy think they're fast, so we should scholarship them. Hey, then they should go to mommy and daddy university. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, had to throw that one in there. Um, yeah, that's a lot to think about. And I'm sure everyone at some point in this conversation has been like, yeah, gosh, or has agreed, or I don't know that anybody can disagree with anyone, anything that you all said, because I think we're, at every level, at some point, everyone has been affected in what you have said. So it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. I think the next two months will tell us a lot. The, the NJCAA really and truly threw a wrench in everybody's plans because the NJCAA saying that this entire year doesn't count athletically without the coinciding uh, official proclamation from the NCAA, that makes things funky because that hasn't happened yet. So right so now you got that, and that's the other thing too. Like just because they're not counting, it doesn't mean the NCAA won't count it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so that like that's the funky thing is that you got kids that think that right now that they're in their second year at NJ in, in junior college, but that year doesn't count. So they got three years of eligibility. And if the NCAA doesn't back that, which it's gonna be tough to do financially, right? But if they if they don't back that, like then what? If they don't back it, then now that they'll say kid just this year is their retro year. Right. Yeah. Right. You lost, look at the end of the day, look, if two years get taken away, you're going to lose one, no matter how you slice it. It's, it's just kind of impossible. Yeah. The, the collegiate system was not meant to have a six year career. Nope. It was not. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, okay. Let's, let's talk, uh, let's talk some lighter stuff. <laughs> um, in your opinion, what's the best collegiate track team ever? ever, 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 female and male. So black and white or colored. <laughs> Depends on which colors, oh. what pictures, what pictures That's are funny. we looking at, right? Uh, we're the, doing women first and men first. Uh, women are always first, are we not? Let's go okay. females. The women, women being first, uh, I'm gonna go with the best women's track team, non-USA non that I've ever seen was my freshman year, uh, LSU's 1989 outdoor team. Um, that was the team with, jeez, uh, they went one, two, three in the women's 100 hurdles, um, set the collegiate record in the 100, Don Sowell, 200, Don Sowell, four by one, anchored by Don Sowell, and I think the four by four. Um, Danielle Mitchell was on that team and I think she was at, at NNC's in the shot in the disc. I guess, long story short, in my opinion, I'm old and I forget stuff, but <laughs> that team, uh, that women's team was, was the craziest juggernaut I've ever seen. 
at the meet. Not, not, not a bad choice and definitely one that I consider taking. Um, I'm going to go in a different direction for me. And, and I'm prefacing this in advance. My justification for the men's choice is going to be different than the women's choice. <laughs> oh, this is the good. best. Yes. So the best team <clears throat> is the 2002 South Carolina Gamecocks. They scored 82 points, which is, look at the history, very difficult to get 80 plus. They scored 82 points, and they had all of these women that I'm going to name eventually represent their country at the Olympics or World Championships. Lashinda Demas, Tiffany Ross, Demetria Washington, the Barber Twins, Aileen Bailey, Tacita Bass, Siobhan Stoddard, and Chelsea Hammond. That is an incredible collection of world-class talent, all on one roster, all at the same time. They came into LSU in 2002 and walked out of there with the first championship in the history of the University of South Carolina. 82 points, a whole bunch of upsets in that meet from those women. And the talent that they were, to me, that's the greatest team ever. And yeah, this was a difficult question. Homer, Homer. Oh, sorry. Oh um, I was not a Gamecock oh that happened. I was still a UCLA Bruin, so that is not a Homer pick. Uh, <laughs> <You're a teammate. laughs> anyway, so, go ahead, Lucius. Wow. You got <laughs> Seriously. Are you okay? I was okay. the devil. <laughs> Literally the yeah, devil was, just came out of yeah. it. I had a little I had a little tickle in my so, head. My bad. <laughs> um I'm not gonna call that a Homer pick, but I'm gonna definitely call that a a passionate pick and definitely not a bad pick at all, regardless of whether it's a Homer pick or, Homer pick or not. Incredible team. Um, a team that I thought about, but clearly I knew that you were going to go with that. So why waste my time? And also when it comes to the LSU, I mean, why waste my time? So I decided to just make mention of a team that I thought was pretty good. And that would be the 14 a and women's team who, um, Scored 75 points. Um, they were all over the place, 100, 200 hurdles, both relays, jumps, throws. They absolutely got it done. So uh, that was Olivia Epinay and uh, Kamaria Brown and that crew. So great team, not quite to the level of those two teams, but great team nonetheless. So I just figured I'd, I'd give them a great shout out because they were a great team and I knew that's where you two guys were going. So. Well, I, 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 how many points did you say that, that your squad scored, Homer? I mean, Clyde? Oh, my gosh. 80, 82. 82. What was, sec, what was second place? Um, it was, I don't remember. So I, I just, you know, I don't usually prepare, but I figured I'd Google this one. Um, LSU's women in 89 scored 86 points, and second place was UCLA with 47. I never said that that was the highest score. I knew it was. Oh, no, no. I don't, and I don't even know if that's the highest score. But what I'm saying is they dump trucked everybody. Absolutely. LSU 8-9 team was by far and away the best team on that day. No doubt. And I, I will say this. What I am, as I've gotten older, because remember, I saw them when I was 19. What, what has impressed me as I've gone further and further from that date is knowing – 
like how important coaches and and um uh uh what's the word consistency how important those things are and their coach lauren seagrave was fired between the sec championship and the ncaa meet okay so they, south carolina won the meet by 10 points over ucla it's funny ucla got, got second in both also interesting but um but their their coach got fired between the the SEC meet and the NCAA championship meet. So imagine that turmoil in a two week span, as well as a trip from from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to uh, Provo, Utah, for a team full of like ninety eight percent black kids. Although they had one heptathlete, uh, I almost forgot about her. She was second in NCAA's, I think, um, from Australia. So, so to, to help settle this uh, mini debate that we're having here, I, I would I would like to pose two questions to to my 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 compatriots here. I hear everything you're saying, Lamar. Would would the two of you agree that in the '80s there were a much, there was a much deeper concentration of talent than there is to than there is in the you know, 2010s plus, 2000s plus. Deeper concentration on on a team or 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 glo across globally, the nationally uh, across the country. Like like you so said, you're saying there was more talent back then than there is now. No, what I'm saying is that there that today's teams, the talent is more spread out. Like now, for example, like for example, you know, before the before the NFL started expanding teams there were more more talented players on fewer teams than there are today right so lsu had a dominant run in the 80s i mean they clicked off championship after championship after championship with very little pushback we don't see things like that today because i believe the talent has been spread out to more campuses and coaching has improved and all these other things so for LSU to dominate the meet the way that they did, phenomenal, phenomenal performances by, you know, incredible women. I think it was easier for them to do in that day than it would have been 20 years later. Y'all may disagree, but that's part of why I didn't choose that team. The, the, but my main argument was who, who South Carolina had on that team from a talent perspective how many of those women on that 89 LSU team ended up becoming Olympians? You know, I, I'm going to answer your first question. Okay, first of all, I am I'm not going to disagree in any way that South Carolina's team wasn't phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Me and neither, for the record. That, that, many, that many Olympics was also phenomenal. Um, I thought this was an opinion-based question, so everybody's entitled to those. Um, but I will say this to your... Um, I will agree that LSU was out recruiting, out, rec out coaching everyone back then. Um, I don't think that, that people just automatically woke up and said, I'm going to LSU. If you go back and look at some of those teams that LSU had, they had people from all over the country. And they had people that came out of high school that really, at that time, they weren't getting like all the best girls. A lot of those girls, they got there and they developed. Like nobody knew who Dawn so well was before she walked on that campus, right? So there was a lot of good coaching going on. So let's not discount that. 
Okay. Um, and, and, oh, no, no, to, in, and in regards to the South Carolina team, phenomenal job by that group as well. A lot of really good kids came out of high school off, off of that team. Now, don't get me wrong. They got coached. That, that coaching staff, Curtis Fry and that staff, absolutely got it done. Oh, but, oh I mean, half the people that scored that year were freshmen. Shinda and Tip were freshmen. I'm just, that just speaks to my point. They coached their butt off. They did. I'm not, I'm not, nobody's debating any of that, but I don't want to discount what LSU did because LSU was getting good girls, but they weren't always signing the girls that, you know, everybody had to have, you know, like some of the, some of the, some of the teams you see, this is what happens in track and field a little bit. You get this, you know, the staff that goes in there and they work hard and they, they, they stack up two or three good recruiting classes, right? Then they hit it and then they go away. And I think that's kind of what, what you've seen over the landscape over the last few years in track and field. You know, the, the key will be which one of these teams that have been very successful or very powerful will continue to have that same, you know, enthusiasm and aggression with recruiting because that's what happened. That was a super talented team and they absolutely got it done. You cannot, I mean, like that group, including the men that were around on campus that time, was phenomenal. You know, on both on both those campuses at that time. You know, so you, you know, kudos to both of those coaching staffs. That's the way I say it. But I don't, I don't think that it's a matter of that LSU was getting all the good girls because there were some other good teams around back then. LSU was just really out coaching people back at that time, in my opinion. I, you know, I, to, to, to Lucius's point, and, and this, is, this has never been a slight one team versus the other, but, I, but I'll say this, and this is just a little bit of history and being old helps. Like that 89 teams, like everybody, everybody looks at LSU as being a dynasty, right? Okay, but it started with the 89 team. Like you, you, you misspoke earlier. LSU's dominance was in the 90s. Yes, I did That, eight, that 89 right. team right. was the first team. And, and yeah. to Lucius's point, right, like uh, Cinnamon Sheffield, Don Sowell, um, there, there were a great number of people on that team who were talented, but certainly not like track and field news, all American types, right? They just, they, they were talented. They got there and they were coached really, really well. And then just to be honest, I, I look, I don't know what was said to them coaching wise, but whatever it was, they were on a friggin' mission at the national meet. But you don't have to know so, what they was said to them. They were pissed because their coach got fired. Right. 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 <laughs> right. However, they were fired up, they were fired up. All right. Well, to the men, I guess. Am I first again? I mean wrapping around to you. All right. Well, I'm going to go to the year before the 88 UCLA men's team, and I'm going to use Clyde's rationale so that the 88 men's UCLA track team had uh, Kevin Young, Mike Marsh, Danny Everett, Steve Lewis, uh, Brian Blutrick, Eric Burgreen. Um, everybody I've named was an Olympian except for Eric Burgreen, by the way. Everybody I just named was an, was a, was an Olympian. Um, and so on. There were a great number of people on that team. And and some of the teams that and, and they won, that was back in the days when the NCAA was four days, and they had won the meet after three. 
So, and I, I got to look, but it, they, I want to say they scored somewhere around 90 points um, on a men's side. And I'm just lucky. Like, this is when I started, like, really paying attention to track. 88 was my senior year in high school. 89 was my freshman year in college. Uh, they scored what, – what year are you saying, sir? 88. 88? They scored 82 yeah. points. 82, 82 points. All right. I think we all second. agree. I guess I'm LSU going women, The LSU woman won in 88, buddy. <clears throat> the LSU dynasty actually started in 87. Okay. So, um, for – a, for, for a different reason um, and because I knew one of you two were going to reference that UCLA squad, I did not want to be accused of being a homer since that's the original school <laughs> I attended. Um, my, my team actually scored 88 points and I remember being there and just being overwhelmed by you know, the team that it was. And that is the 2014 Oregon Ducks led by Edward Cheserek and Dev Allen. Like, I was blown away by that by that performance. And I mean, they, they had people, it felt like they had people in every event. It felt like they scored in every event. You go back and look at it, they obviously didn't. But they were just racking, they were just wrecking shop that year. And, you know, it, it was it was a very impressive performance, and I'm a huge fan of, of Cesarek, and I, I think he goes very unappreciated in our sport, considering he never won the Bowerman and all that stuff. But that that was the greatest team performance that I ever witnessed, um, you know, you know, in in person. And so, 88 points on the men's side is nuts. So, oh, yeah. 2014 Oregon Ducks. Well, um, this segment's done because <laughs> but those are both my choices. And I, unfortunately, I was on the other side of that 88, that, that um, 88 points. We absolutely nailed it, scored 70 points and got beat by 18. That's well, it. there that, it is. That, 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 that may have easily been the best performance we've ever had at a national championship. And nobody knows. So Lucius has effectively broken this debate right here. Yeah. When when the Gators put up 70 plus and lose by how many? 18. 18. Yeah. That's the team, boss. <laughs> right. That's the team. Uh, that, that was just one of those where we were sitting we were standing out in the infield going, wow, we had a great meet. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were literally laughing like can, we had a great meet. They curb stopped us, though. <laughs> can I put can I put my petty hat on for a second? Yeah, you uh, can. we already know we already know where this is. Lucius. Going. If that meets in Gainesville, how does the score change? Um, it's about it's about 115 to, to, to 60, probably. You know. <laughs> no, you know, actually, it might have been. No, they like, were really good. I'm not taking anything no, away no, from them. They were really I, I know, good. I know, look, let's let's be serious here. I, I think it's a little closer, but I like that year. Like, I don't know what else we could have done. Like, you go back and yeah. look at it. Like, like we. Like there's, there was nothing we did there that we wouldn't have done in Gainesville. And I can't go back and say, hey, so-and-so wouldn't have made the final because everybody did. You know, so it might have been like, 
85 to 80 or, or 85 to 75 or something like that. But they were the better team. I can't take that away from them. That, oh no, that, that team was but, that team was ridiculous, it, and yeah. and I didn't pick it because I figured you know the cathedral lover was gonna go that route. <laughs> I went, I went. With hey, look, the old and I'll squad. be honest with you, you know, both of those. I mean, the UCLA team was just that's just come on, you just <clears> start <throat> start naming those guys, and then the the Oregon team, like I said, I witnessed that. That, that was a thing where, like, whoever thinks, I mean, before we left for the meet. I told people we're going to score 65 to 75 points and we might not win the meet. So they were that good. And we scored 70. I remember Mar Marquise didn't put on an absolute show. You know, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Like we got it done across the board. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> and so did they. they so did that that yeah. Gator team had a bad birthday. Yeah, it did. It had a horrible birthday. <laughs> It did. Oh, That's funny. Man. Yeah. Oh wow. So, in in true young, well, I can't say young because Clyde is just a little bit younger than I. I have taken my notes so I can go Google all these teams. So, yes. TJ, me and you, me and you, yo, we got this. <laughs> you guys gonna have fun looking up that 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 eighty eight meet was it was I mean the the eighty eight point meet was incredible. Like again. I'm not. I, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have scored that many points if they weren't home because those cats just got it done. And, and you look at like like you talk about Cheserek and the other guys that they had. They had they, what was the guys? Uh, Andrew Weeding in that crew. You know they were just good. You know Devin yeah, Allen. Devin, see, Devin Allen was like third place with three hurdles to go, and then he wins it by a tenth of a second. Stuff like that. You know they were just. I'm just sitting there going, yeah, it's silver. <laughs> it's silver. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's play the real slots right now. Uh, let's go into metal predict predictions for the men's 200. So we're talking Tokyo 2021. Who's going to be on the podium? I mean, um, we're we're all we're all we're all taking Noah Lyles for the gold. I mean, it's so the really gold. It's about just, this is about silver and bronze, right? Yeah, about <laughs> silver and bronze. So, it so it depends on if Bolt comes back or not. Okay. Well, I'll still take. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let you. If Bolt comes back, I'm still going with Noah. Um, I'm still going with Noah regardless. <laughs> um, but I, I I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go out on a little bit of a limb. Um, I really like what I saw out of Kenny Ben Derrick last year, last summer. I really did. You know, I think he's a phenomenal talent. And see, everybody wants to talk about, you know, the wind-aided performances he had at the junior college meet and, and that kind of thing. But he ran 44 seconds after running 19 stupid. And 44 yeah. seconds can't be windy. It's not, yeah. it's not allowed. Like, if it's, it's, it's windy <laughs> one way, it's, it's, it's a headwind the other, right? So um, I, I really believe just based on some things I have, and I, I'd never seen him before. I had a chance to be around him and just kind of listen to him and watch him. He's got a little something to him. I know his coach has got a lot of something to him. And so I, I like what I saw out of Kenny. Um, I don't know how you ever really bet against Andre de Grasse. I mean, he's proven that, you know, if he shows up and he's healthy, um, he, he's going to give it a go. But um and I think that there's two guys that I think are interesting here. 
if they can double um, Stevie Gardner. And this is what I happen to think is Mr. Norman's best event is the two. <laughs> I, I believe that, you know, so um, I'm, I'm going to say Noah for the win, Kenny for a second. Um, I'm going to give DeGrasse the bronze right now, but if Mr. Norman decides he wants to get fancy, go to the 200, Mike, and then it blows the whole thing wide open. And, hey, drag him out. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Nah, we're good. Because my prediction is going to be out of this world. Okay. What you got, got Clyde? What you got? <laughs> oh, so you want to go last on this one? Which, whichever you would like. Where you want me to be? No, uh -oh. no, no, it's, it's fine. You seem excited, so I was ready to let you Oh, yeah, he's ahead. rubbing his hands. He's ready, dog. Yeah, I mean. I'm excited because, look, all the other ones we've done so far, they've been relatively mundane. But this one could go in, like, one? nine million different directions. Right. Because so, I except think, that, Clyde, you're the one that said this before. You're the one that said this before, Clyde. like, none of us know who's running the 200. And that right. was going to be my lead-off lead statement. Like this is the the men's specifically the men's two hundred. We have no idea other than Noah Lyles. Right. The hell is <laughs> right. And to Lucius's point, he named both of my oh what if people. If Stephen Gardner decides to run it, I kind of can't keep him out of the medals. Mm -hmm. If Mike decides to run it, depending on which double he's playing with, I would actually pick Mike. Over no, but I don't know who's running what. So <laughs> it's a mess. It's a total mess. So, you know, my metal predictions at this moment are based on the people that I truly believe are going to step out there and run. I believe the grass is going to run it. And therefore, I'm going to have to put him in the metal count. Uh, ben Derek is interesting. He's very, very interesting. I personally believe that his best event is the four. But I don't think there's any shot that his current situation as a pro will lend him to run the four, right? So that's very, very interesting. I, I He wasn't in my group. You I, you almost talked me into it. So I, you, you really did. So I, I'm going to say. I like that. Noah for the gold. Um, I got the grass coming out with the silver. And I I believe Stephen Gardner is going to step out there and run the thing. I really do. I don't know why. I don't have any logical explanation for it, but <laughs> he is. And because I think he is, I'm going to take Stephen Gardner for third. And I wouldn't put him for third, but I believe he's going to run the four. So coming off of that, I don't have him getting the silver. So DeGrasse second, Stephen Gardner third, but I absolutely reserve the right to choose Michael Norman if he steps out there for the 200. So I, I'm, I'm, I've been excited about this one all day because first off, I think the key to all of this is Christian Coleman because Christian Coleman will not be around I believe that one Mr. Noah Lyles is going to run the double. And I think, I think run him running, I, but I think him winning the hundred is going to make him susceptible to my ridiculous pick, which is I am picking Michael Norman 
for the gold medal. I am picking Mr. Noah Lyles for the silver medal. And I am going to pick the same guy that we all picked that we know is going to get medals, Mr. DeGrasse. That's my picks. Okay. okay so he, so, so Lamar is stepping out and claiming Michael Norman. I'm standing on the limb like this. Today. I, got, I, I like it. No, you stand on that branch and it's bending. Like, yeah, yeah. It it's is. got a big bow it's in it. in the wind, too. Now, now, so now, now let me say something on. now. I need to ask I, I am like flying on ask. this one now. If Michael Norman comes out and says, hey, I'm going I'm going for the 200. Forget the one, forget the four. I'm going to one. Or if he says, I'm going to double one, two. See, that's the question that I have. Exactly. And that's if he goes the one, two double, I'm still, like, he upsets the apple cart. Absolutely. Sure. So, because so Lamar. He, so, so let, let me let me let me finish my thought. You know, I'm old. I forget stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, so th this is just this is just my thing. Okay. I don't think Michael Norman has a love for the 400. I never have. Right. I never have. He runs the 400 because he's fast. Right. He loves the 200. Always has. Always has. And now he's all of a sudden got this love affair with the one. If Michael Norman decides to run the 200, there are issues across the planet. Him and Noah could take that record and put it someplace that we don't want to see. Because Michael's crazy, Norman's crazy. I mean, Michael's crazy, Noah's crazy. Both of their coaches are crazy. It becomes <laughs> war. And I, I look, I, look, I'm here for. I'm look, I'm, I'm selling tickets to that one. I'm buying my popcorn. That's I want to see that. Oh, you know, I think we're I, all in my heart. I believe I we're all rooting that's, for that. You know, I, that's Michael's event. Look, you know what? Almost let's start a campaign. Put it, put it out. Let's tweet it. Let's whatever we got to do. Michael Norman run the two hundred. Let's see what happens. So, so, so Norman, Lamar, since you, Lyle, since you, DeGrasse. So since Lamar pr predicted it, and me and Lucius are waiting to see who's running. Right, Lamar. Do you believe? Are you? Is your prediction that? Because you referenced Christian. Is your prediction that? Christian Coleman, the void left by Christian Coleman is going to then prompt Michael Norman to say, I'm going one, two, because I don't believe there's any scenario. There's there's no there's not enough glory in just winning the two, right? It's gotta be the one, two, or the four, two. So which double are you predicting he's going for? So I'm gonna go deeper than that. I don't think it matters. I think Noah doing the double is what's going is what's pushing me that Michael's going to win the two. I don't think if Michael goes 4-2, if, if Michael goes 4-2 and Noah goes 1-2, and Noah goes one two, I'm taking Michael in the two. Oh, no, if no. Michael goes 1-2 and Noah goes 1-2, I'm taking Michael in the two. If Noah, just runs the, if Noah just runs the two, nobody can beat him. If that's, if that's all he's running, I don't think anybody can beat him. If that's all he's running. I got you. But it's, 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 here's the problem I think you have with is, you got those four, you got those rounds of the of the hundred. And I know they're only rounds of the hundred, but it, it's just a different stimuli. You see, and that's the thing. If if Noah can handle the rounds of the hundred physically, mentally, I don't worry about Noah Lyles. Not at all. He's an absolute warrior. If he if he's as long as he's healthy, he's come, he's coming, he's gonna bring it. And the big thing for him now is he got the monkey off his back. He's one one. You know, like anybody that saw the world championship could tell he was a nervous wreck. That wasn't Noah Lyles that we know and love. But now that he's got that monkey off his back, he knows he can boogie, he can he can party in that in that in that area code. He's good. So as long as that he can physically handle 
the rounds of the hundred, he's hard to bet against. But if there's one guy that can party with him, it's Michael Norman. There's no yeah, guy. Absolutely. absolutely. And I'll say this: if if they both double, and Kenny Bednarik only runs the two. They got uh, problems. Not necessarily <laughs> that he's going to beat them, but he's a pain in the ass for yeah, both of them. Telling you, I'm telling you, dog. If he, See, like, if he hasn't done anything else, he's a problem. Like, okay, they talk about it was wind-dated, it was this, okay, it was wind-dated. But whatever. It, the 44 seconds wasn't wind-dated. I know that. No. It wasn't 44 was, was all the way real. Look, See, all you so, got to do is I, see I, Kenny Bednarik run one time and you know he's the right. real deal. And like I said, I've seen the video, but when I saw him up close in person, this guy, I'm telling you, and he's oh, figuring he's a it out. He's, he's a, he's a specimen. Out. Yep. And see, he's got, he's got the benefit of being around daily one of the greatest sprinters ever in Justin Gatlin. That's, that's got to be helpful in some way. But remember now, I want to hear everybody tweeting it every day. Michael, go to the two. Michael, go to the two. I literally he, have he probably, a new. He probably ain't gonna listen, but Michael go to the two. <laughs> I hey, I saw a video of him doing block starts with a grizzle with a gr grizzled bearded old 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 guy that's done a few things. So uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. Will you stop stirring the pot, please? <laughs> I, I, I didn't want, put the video I want out it there. on Lucius. I want it on record. I didn't say that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Clyde. Because I he definitely said it. Video. Okay. That didn't mean you, you had to comment on video. it. You didn't have to comment on it. It's because you it's saw it. It's relevant to my pick. No, it's not. It's not. Yes, it is. It is absolutely <laughs> relevant to my pick. No. Okay, that is just your petty way of covering up your pettiness. So, no. whatever. But at the end of the day. It's relevant again, to my pick. Like, as the old folks would say, tweet it, book face it, you know, <laughs> Instagram, Graham instant it, whatever they want to call whatever you call it. Get it out there. Michael Norman run the 200. <laughs> face place exactly wow. yeah yeah what was it what was it black planet <laughs> and there's another one out there that's hella old right <laughs> exactly you know come on now because oh, he, he, we we need that type of excitement Michael i mean Norman let's, let's talk about you know, 200 that when we talk about you know you think about the michael carl um stuff like that you know the things that used to get people like on their feet before the race ever started okay imagine how packed and how excited the cathedral will be clyde oh yes olympic trials 200 final when you got michael norman noah lyles kenny banderick and whoever else claims they want to part of that party <laughs> and, and and the and the nfl players in the prelims of the hundred. that's all the only two things we need right those two things right, right. there nobody will see that so I need everybody all of you, wants to see that. We need to send this to the agents. Send this so to see, all the so agents. See, they, what they need, if we, if we want to, if we want to make our sport a circus, which is what, what that does, in my opinion, then let them have their own clown show. They can come out there and run an exhibition hundred, and don't, but don't put them on track with us. That's no, I don't want to see that. I want to see the bloodletting. See, see, that's because that's, that's you're the pissed. Curb I don't, stopping. <laughs> I don't I want to see, see all of it. Yeah. And this has gotten out of hand, apparently. There's all kind of tweets with all kind of major track and field stars. And so, yeah, yeah. Maybe they need to be. Maybe they need to be shut up. You're right. All oh, I you know, know is somebody somebody referred to Flamingo as not a world class athlete. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, that, right. That, Bet that, listen, I'm, between the I'm done between with the disrespect, now. 
between the disrespect of Grant Holloway and the epic shout out to Joe Kovacs, the yes. epic oh, tweet, epic. Joe Kovacs. Listen, I'm off. Bring them in. I'm, yeah. I want number of in. NFL football <laughs> players stronger than me. Zero. Zero. <laughs> Best thing. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not sure that Joe Kovacs is actually stronger than Chuck Inequity. And I'm telling y'all right now, listen, I've seen this dude with my own two eyes squat a thousand pounds and have a 40 inch vertical within three days of each other. And I'm telling you, that doesn't exist in the NFL. Oh, no. That guy doesn't exist. <laughs> so like and anybody that thinks Flamingo isn't a world-class athlete has clearly lost their lost their bro. No, yeah. they just never seen him. You make that statement, you've never seen him. That's just that's just pure ignorance. That's what that is. And if you've seen hey, him, but the, and then, then, the best then you, thing you, that you, came you, from that was Flamingo's huddle video. I was here for that, watching this dude moss little children. It was amazing. <laughs> he was just stiff arming small children in Virginia. Get away from me. I was like, this is hilarious. He looked like DK Metcalf in the NFL. Oh. Just pushing little dudes off of him. Like, excuse uh, me. And isn't, that, isn't that how this whole conversation started with that dude? It is. Okay. That's yes. why I said it. Yeah. Yes. It's funny how that works. Yeah, it is. Yep, yeah. yeah, it is. Clyde is not the only petty one on this show. Yep, and we know who the I other. Just don't, we know who the two petty, unpetty people are. Oh, don't get that. I don't know about that. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about that. Show I'm not petty. petty colors very often. I'm not petty at all. What do you? What? I'm not petty, and I'm, I'm not gonna let you call big league petty. I'm just not gonna let you do that. Okay. I refuse to believe that big league is petty. I just won't do it. Big league, are you petty? I'm frozen. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's your answer, folks. Exactly. Big yes, League yes, is sir. from the Bay. Big League is oh, from the Bay. She's petty. We, too. we drink petty. <laughs> yes. Oh. Okay. But yeah. I'm sorry, Big League. You, I just haven't seen that. I just haven't seen that. That side of you. You and far between. Yeah. Few and far between. You never know what's happening until you're done with it. She show, she's showing some signs of it right now. I, I tell y'all. <laughs> okay. See, I, I apologize. I didn't know. No. But I know I'm not petty at all. So that means I'm greatly outnumbered on this this pen. <laughs> how you do it? How you do how you do it, Clyde? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Well. I will have the Twitter brigade start next, or when we debut yes, the show. Yes, please, come on. I will on. have the Twitter brigade happen. I've already got a note written to myself with a hashtag. So, Mikey, you might as well do it. Coach is saying you got to run. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's keep the seats hot. Let's get Clyde going on this rapid fire. And I promise it is rapid. It should be rapid. It's prescribed. Let's go, Clyde. Rapid. You got this, Clyde. Hey, it was tough last time. It was tough last time. <laughs> These ones I feel like are a little bit easier, but uh, I I will admit you are the you are susceptible to more of the uh, interpersonal questions because you're the only <laughs> one that, that that hasn't been like tied down forever at this point. So we have to reveal <laughs> oh, your, your, <laughs> your 
ear. I don't know. Oh, we'll put it where on. is this going? Oh, hold on. This going to be good. I mean, it's, it's not that good. Bad. It's not that bad. Before All you right. get started, I think I think we have to give a shout out to Clyde's hat. That is that's a that's a very sharp hat, Clyde. Very sharp. It hat. is. Roll on you bear. Nobody, nobody asked for all that. <laughs> See? Nope. Too much. My bad. Too what's, much. What's nice hat. Are you done? <laughs> wow. Are you done? <laughs> Okay, here we go, Chu, because I'm not doing oh, that. Chu, where are funny. my questions? Where are, that was where, a good one. Where are my yeah. questions? Yeah. All right, we ready? I am. Wusa, you're on vacation. Are you on Australia or the Bahamas? Bahamas. Got it. Do you write in blue ink or black ink? Black. Never thought of that. Yeah. Ah. Uh, when you're writing workouts, is it pen to paper or all electronic? <laughs> um, <laughs> Exposed, my it, bad. <laughs> it, it's chaos is what it is. Um, yeah, uh, it's chaos. Got it. it, it it's mostly here. It's mostly here. Got it. Um, you're getting ready to go on a date. Are you wearing a sweater or a sports coat? Neither. I'm from the Bay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, big box, Costco or Sam's Club? Costco. Costco. Love it. Um, what? What? I guess where and what is your favorite sandwich spot? Oh man. Oh, that's. The, my my favorite my favorite oh man <laughs> I love and it. Them. all of a sudden them. we're not so rapid are we <laughs> you know what it's it, it it's Roxy's Roxy's in the city mm. if you know you know so many so many in the city that you can I mean it is good but so many in the city that you can just land on they're so good yeah all right the last vulnerable question. You're getting ready to demo. Are you demoing or is an athlete demoing? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't demo. I don't do that no more. Um, you know, shout, shout out to, to Tiana B. When she's around, she is the demo. Um, when she's not around, um, you know, uh, an, unwill, an unknowing freshman or somebody else is going to be the demo. My, my demo days are 95% over. It has to be an extreme situation for me to demo. I have learned that lesson. Whew. You have survived, sir. Well done. Okay. Good job, sir. Oh, man. Yeah, the I haven't learned the demoing lesson yet. <laughs> I'm recovering. The kids don't pay me, and therefore <laughs> I'm not demoing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our heartbeat props for the week. Um, we're going to lift up some people and say thank you while they're still here to say thank you too. Who would like to start us off? I'll, I'll go first this week. My um, Carrying over from the conversation we were having earlier and, and this week being the, the week that it is in, in our sport, 
honestly, my heartbeat props go out to the class of 2021. It, it's been a crazy recruiting cycle. Um, we all have our stories. I've, I've been really impressed, you know, with, with the kids and the families and, and the patience and the resolve and, and the stress management that I've been able to witness. Um, these are unprecedented times. And I think the majority of everybody has handled themselves really gracefully uh, under extreme pressure. And so for everybody, coast to coast, that, that found their homes and uh, definitely, you know, made a whole bunch of people happy and, and broke a lot of hearts along the way. You know, the class of 2021, props to you all. And it's just getting started and I'm excited about everybody's future. Well said, sir. Well said. Um, I'll, I'll go next, no problem. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give my heartbreak props tonight to a lady that who touched so many lives and so many careers, a lady that held an organization down for a long time, that did a lot of hard work out in front and behind the scenes, a lady that held a lot of teams together and was the glue that people didn't just didn't know that she was and didn't see. And my, so my heartbeat props tonight go out to Miss Sandy Snow, who was uh, just an absolute gem of a lady to work with. Um, just really, I can remember from the first team I was involved with that she was involved with, it was very clear who you went to, to get the right answer, to get the right way to handle something. And um, so Mama Sandy, uh, we love you and we miss you. And I just wanna say thank you for everything you did for me and all my troops. and all the other troops out there for USA track and field. Well also said. Well said. We love Sandy. Also well said. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to beat a dead horse. And I'm going to keep flogging that horse until it resurrects itself. But my heartbeat props go to all of the Clemson men's track and field alumni. Um, and the fact that they have figured out that they need to stand up, be counted, be recognized, um, and explain to the university that their relevance matters. Um, hey, I got a stat for everybody. Um, if you take out football and basketball, there were 51 uh minority male student athletes at clemson prior to them cutting uh men's track and field and cross country and now there are i think 20 that don't play football or basketball i'll let everybody else draw their own conclusions from that so um having coached there and knowing some of those alumni and having gotten you know, a long heart, heartfelt call from one Mr. Marcus Brown and having coached Corey Thalheimer and been around for the exquisite coaching of Spencer Adams and, and Marcus Maxey and, and all that other crew. I'll just say that, you know, and having been old enough to see Terrence Harrington run people down uh, as the off the pace winner in the 1500 at the USA's, um, that group of people matter in the pantheon of collegiate track and field. And I'll be damned if it's going to go out, not kicking and screaming. And if I have to wear my Clemson hat and keep saying crazy things every week 
and keep making sure that, that it stays relevant, I will, because I didn't go there. I'm not an alum, but at the end of the day, the fact that I know the fabric and the history should say how important the history is in the pantheon of collegiate men's track and field in general. Um, so my heartbeat props go to that wonderful group of young men um, who are now maybe not even so, so young, but you can't tell me that James Trapp and Michael Green don't matter. Good stuff. Good stuff. Way to make some wheels spin in that head, sir. Uh, last but not least, I would love to give some heartbeat props and lift up a, a amazing young lady, a former athlete that I was blessed to work with. Uh, she was a thrower, so I didn't get to work with her technically. Uh, but thank goodness this, this not so little girl anymore. Uh, she won my heart in my PE class. Uh, she transferred in from Hawaii and she was just sitting on a roll call number and she wasn't little, but she, she had a very timid behavior to her, or timid nature to her. Um, and as she blossomed through her four years of high school and then post high school, just her love and her heart um, just exude from her. And she's so caring and so protective and, you know, having to let her class know that I would not be able to finish their freshman year out with them because of cancer, uh, you know, I didn't realize till she just, you know, years and years, I mean, I think we're seven years removed now from high school with her specifically. Uh, still very protective over me and the things that I do, even though she's sitting in there uh, recovering from surgery, not open heart surgery, but she was getting prepped to have open heart surgery this past week. Um, but she taught me that love is the way, no matter how mad we are and how many bad things happen to us and how many uh, tragedies we endure, love is the way always, it doesn't matter. We always have to love each other and that way we all survive and we figure it out together. And um, Miss Lena Toki, I love you little girl. I know you can still whoop my butt, but I will whoop yours even, <laughs> even harder because mama said so. So Miss Lena, rest up, get healthy and, uh, I will see you sooner than later, but COVID warranted. So, um, yeah, great round of heartbeat props. I love it. Good stuff. Good stuff, gentlemen. Um, so Twitter here is coming. Here's oh, coming. <laughs> Mikey in the 200. Uh, don't forget. We will be doing a live episode. That one made me nervous saying it out loud. <laughs> a live episode <laughs> on December 16th. Uh, we'll be able to field some questions. We got this big league. We got Yeah, this. we do. We do. For sure. For sure. Uh, we'll field some questions uh, live streamed. And uh, we will be able to hear you all roaring behind us figuratively. So thank you again for all of your time, your patience, your encouragement, your support. And above all else, your desire to be better. And we appreciate you for all of that. So thank you so much, Lamar, Lucius, and Clyde. Have a great week ahead of you. We will see you all soon. Peace. Oh, he flipped the switch. <laughs> Good night. When the lights come on, the road skip the running. When the lights come on, opponents mess the plumbing. Would you like your warm, hot knife to butter? Truth pin them hard, knock them off that rebuttal. Tsunami, tidal wave to your puddle. Tough love punch you in the arms, little brothers. Athletics double, I'll see it, there's no others. Track and field's pacing, we'll peel to go further. Hey, why
Wiley Coyote is Roadrunners Feels like you know us, you've been with us the whole summer If not for this quarantine, these four corners Wouldn't be here, but we're here, so start learning You gotta earn your stripes, gotta get your scars Show you how to fight, but show us who you are You lack experience, but still you wanna talk And who is actually talking to you, something's kinda small Heads prevail when the backbone's strong Gotta keep it coming, no, won't last long Pass or fail, then sell the sad song And if you don't check yourself, then that's wrong Just trying to give you the real that you asked for So why you keep cutting us off to ask more? We put it in slow mode, but you fast forward Athletics, devil, I'll see the task force